When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, we said we weren't going to leave it another year before we invited him on, another two years before we invited him on, and we could only wait two days. Welcome to the Anglo-Italian pod. As always, my name is Rory, and I'm joined by a very special guest. Joe Spagnoli, shortly suffering, well, long-term suffering, but in this time, (laughs) short-term suffering Roma fan. I say good evening, Rory, but we're less than 24 hours away as of recording. Still raw. Is it still raw? Yeah, I mean, for the for the first time in my life, I was able to watch a Roma game in an actual Roma like fan zone, sports bar and grill over oh, wow, in Farringdon. Okay. And between that being a first occasion, so I didn't know how many Roma supporters there were in London, um, and the occasion itself bringing so many more, I'm, there must have been at least four hundred people. Realistically, a lot more than that crammed into that place. So that was really cool. Um, but it just made that penalty shootout. And to be honest, all of extra time and most of the second half even harder to bear. I can imagine we're going to get into that. And I can't wait to hear both your takes on the game and how it was to be in some atmosphere. I was kind of sat on the sofa thinking, 146 minutes, is this game ever going to end? So it'll be good to see what it was like with a with a with with an atmosphere around you. But before we go into that, I need to take the listeners quickly through what we're going to go through in this show. We are, of course, going to talk about the Europa League final. Aura versus Aura. Sevilla saw it out in the end. We are then very quickly going to take you through to a Serie A preview of the final weekend. There's a few games with a few things um, resting on it. There's a relegation spot to be decided and the race for Europa or Conference League. We'll be taking you through that. And we will be finishing with, of course, the FA Cup Manchester final derby and how we expect that to go beyond Man City to absolutely walk it. So we are going to take a very quick break and we will see you on the other side. We are back, back into the Cool Kids Club final. It was Roma versus Sevilla. We made it quite clear what we wanted to happen. Um, Unfortunately, it wasn't to be. But Joe, take us through first your impressions of the game, and then we'll talk about how the experience was with the fans. The Well, the game went by very, very quickly for me as a result of the atmosphere and being around all those mm-hmm. fans. In reality, for people like you watching on the sofa, I can't imagine many games going more slowly, not yeah. just because of the sheer amount of added time. It was, I think you're right in saying it was well over 140 mm-hmm. minutes, which 
to be honest, is long for an epic movie these days, never mind a football match, which is supposed to be 90 minutes. Um, yeah, the first half went by very quickly. Second half, quite a bit slower as the energy seemed to die away. And then extra time, obviously, just slow that inexorable, inevitable road to penalties. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I guess I guess go into it from here, really. Yeah, well, the first half, I thought Roma started really well. Um, I thought they they had the best of it. They were a lot more attacking than I expected. They were really kind of trying to take the game to Sevilla. Obviously, Dybala, you gave him the shout-out as by far Roma's best player. That was a very well-taken goal. Um, Like, a great win in midfield. I think it was kind of... It was a little bit lazy from Rakitic, maybe, or a little bit Mm. half asleep. But it was great for Roma to jump onto it, snap on Dybala straight into the bottom corner. And at that point, it looked like Roma were going to kind of it really looked like they were going to take this final. Uh, Were you impressed by their start? I was really impressed by their start. It's a million miles away, not just from the second leg against Leverkusen, which, as I alluded to a few days ago, didn't really count as a football match. But it was very, very different to the first leg as well. There was a verve, a dynamism to the way that Roma were playing, a directness to the way that Roma were playing that I hadn't seen for quite a while, certainly not in Serie A, where our form is absolutely disgraceful. Um, and that the way that that set piece was taken overall, the set pieces that Roma had last night were not great for a number of reasons that we can perhaps delve into. Mm-hmm. But on this occasion, taking it quickly, Gianluca Mancini made a fantastic decision to play that forward. And I don't think there's a single other Roma forward in that area with the goalkeeper mm-hmm. in that position that I trust to put that on net, apart from Paolo Dybala. Right yeah. man, right place, right delivery, right finish. I said he was going to be the best player. Uh, the most crucial player, because he is Roma's best player, technically Mm -hmm. and on form this season, by a pretty wide margin. And in that moment, you're thinking, yeah, Roma could actually score more than one goal from open play in this game. Unfortunately, the moment moment Dybala scored, (laughs) it was like a switch had been turned off. Seriously. I think it was it was crazy because I, I think we saw everyone lose their collective shit on the bench and on the field. Like obviously it was a big moment, and Mourinho was the only one who was like calma, calma, trying to keep everyone. Oh. Like he knew it wasn't done. He knew it wasn't done. But what do you think it was in the switch that caused that switch? Do you think Mourinho did instruct for the players to like right, let's just see this till half time now, or what? What do you think the change was? Because there was a drastic change. I think Sevilla became a lot safer in possession than they had been mm. beforehand. One of the one of the reasons why Leverkusen failed to overturn that one goal deficit is because despite having a whole 90 minutes at home to do it, they just refused to stay calm. They panicked, tried to create frenetic, mm. incomplete chances. I thought it was incredibly tactically naive from Xabi Alonso. I was mm. personally very disappointed by those tactics. Whereas Mandilibar last night was very clearly saying to the guys, look, you've got plenty of time to break this team down. They have mistakes in it. And it was actually after the opening goal that I saw them begin to recycle through the defenders a bit more. Like yeah. Nemanja Gudeli got more into the game after that point. Uh, they mm-hmm. started getting Bono and his distribution in and Bono proved to be pretty crucial later on. It was, it was like Sevilla became more negative and more simple. And from that, the possession stats, which they already had a slight advantage in, their advantage skyrocketed. Yeah. But by the end of the game, we're talking in in the region of 70% possession for Sevilla mm-hmm. for much of the uh, fixture. And it started in earnest after that goal. It wasn't so much Roma stepping off, at least to begin with. It was mm-hmm. oddly Sevilla stepping off, which improved their play. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it was. I, I saw the passing stats. And yeah, you're right. They were on like 600-odd passes and Roma around 200, like late 100, mm-hmm. 200 passes at some point. It did look like... 
the 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 miss the misbalance the misbalance was 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 heavy but i think there was some despite all that Sevilla didn't really make the better chances i still feel like throughout Ooh. the game roma did consistently make better chances they still should have got a second i think ibanez with that horrific air kick that just looked like that looked i'm i'm left footed when i play football that looked like me trying to kick with my right foot like yeah. it was awful but roma did have their chances did you feel like you would still nick one being honest i think if you'd asked me that question before Sevilla's goal, I would have said yes. I think from the moment that Sevilla equalised, I think it wasn't just me. I felt like the atmosphere in Sports Bar and Grill changed very quickly. And it felt okay, like right. we knew we weren't going to get another one at mm-hmm. that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, just like the, the, the dynamism from the game had just gone. And it was, it was in that second half that the game really went to pot, not just for Roma, but just in general. I, I feel really yeah. bad for anybody who... <laughs> what? It was bad enough we had like six minutes of stoppage time after the first half, but I feel genuinely <laughs> sorry for any neutrals who decided to watch that game of all games in the second half and uh, extra time. Yeah, it was... There was a few comments from now... Well, Steve McManaman, we've made our views clear on that man before and what right. he adds to football, but he had a few comments to make about it as well. One that kind of stuck in my craw a little bit where he was like... oh certain nationalities love doing this, which sounded incredibly xenophobic, but I think it was a very difficult game to watch. I had friends in England messaging me going, this is terrible, like genuinely terrible. My mate said he'd fallen asleep during it. I think it was, yeah, it wasn't pleasant viewing, but we should go to the Sevilla goal because Sevilla in the semi-final, they won because of own goals from United. So they've not really, I think they scored one goal over two ties or two goals over two ties in the semifinals. And now they haven't scored in the final either. Mancini had a night to forget. I think in general, he played quite well, but he had two huge moments. Do you think he's a player that I've been, I've been, his temperament has been put into question a lot. Do you think this game, once that kind of goal went in, do you think the game got away from him a bit? I did wonder why he was starting over Diego Llorente. Mm-hmm. Honestly, yeah. I, I did. I, it makes sense in the sense that when you brought when you bring Pellegrini off, and I think we all knew that Pellegrini was going to come off at some point, and he hadn't had a good game up to the point where he came yeah. off anyway. I think Mancini's the natural candidate to become captain after him. It's pretty difficult when your vice captain, captain in waiting, is usually on a yellow card. And I, I know I, I wouldn't. I would never say that. I wouldn't say that Mancini was the worst player on the pitch. I wouldn't say he was the best player. He was what he was was the most player on the pitch. Yeah. He was involved yeah. in everything that happened. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. On, having seen the replays of that own goal, I, I think it's far more a case of crediting Lucas Acampos, as I have done many times before, mm-hmm. than slating down Luca Mancini. That kind of own goal is ten a penny in the top five yeah. leagues. It's and if he's ultimately he changes his position, it's tapped in by Enesiri mm-hmm. or whoever else is in the box. So I don't personally hold any ill will against him for that, nor do I hold any ill will for him for the penalty miss. I thought Ibanez's penalty miss was far more embarrassing than... Um, yes, yes, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. dude, we'll get into yeah. that. We'll get into that later in the summary. But um, yeah, I, not, not a brilliant night from Mancini. I, if I was to identify a man of the match, I don't think this is too controversial for Roma I would say Chris Smalling was unbelievably Roma's yeah. best player over the course of 90 minutes um that, that was someone someone um, a lot of people have made the uh point that Roma's xg was about two versus Sevilla's one 
which mm-hmm. in their eyes means we deserve to win the game. I take a different view of it. That means that we had plenty of chances that our forwards categorically fucked up over the yes. course of that 90 minutes on the 120, well, the extra 30 that followed. And then, of course, all the added time as well. Um, yeah, I, for us, I thought Ibanez had a couple of real gladiator moments and that probably, again, if we discuss Anthony Taylor, we'll talk about the, the penalty yes. that I'm amazed he gave in the first place. Um, and that was a brilliant piece of defending by Banyas. He didn't have any, he didn't have a, like a hallmark mistake, but overall Smalling was handily the best centre-back last night. Yeah, I thought, honestly, it's, um, I love the career he's had in Serie A because I think he left United and it was, he was a bit of a figure of fun. And I think anyone at United at that time was not improving. Anyone at United was coming out of that club with a bad PR. And I felt like he got really harshly treated. It always makes me think of, do you remember there was a guy who talked on the Man United fan TV when United signed Harry Maguire? And he said, Chris Smalling is better than Harry Maguire. And all the people laughed at him. And he was like, I don't know why we're spending money on this bloke. We've got Chris Smalling. He's a decent centre-back. And every time I see Chris Smalling play, I just hope that bloke is sat at home going, I was right. I yeah. was right. And he knows he was right. Because I love the career that Chris Smalling's had. And I think even at Roma, he's like the fans love him, right? He's been, he's not just in this game, but he has been a solid performer more or less since he arrived, right? So when when he was on loan in the, for that dry loan season initially, mm-hmm. he was fantastic. The season after that, where he was signed on a permanent transfer, he was pretty bad overall, mm-hmm. I thought. Um, definitely far below expectations. But since then, he's come back up to point. It's an easy answer to this question. You don't get called Smaldini unless the fans hold an awful lot of love for you. And for the most part, he deserves it. He's... I don't think he's been our best centre-back overall this season. Mm-hmm. The first half of the season, he definitely was. And in a big game last night, yes, absolutely. It's just the the obsession with like pace and stylish football mm-hmm. that Manchester United have had over the last few years, despite not hiring a single manager that prefers yeah. stylish, pacey football. Chris Smalling is miles better than Harry Maguire yeah. and has been for quite a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's not even a conversation. It's not even a mm. conversation at this point. But I think, and he almost, almost scored. He came close a few times. He hit the crossbar right at the end. Mm. Um, he got the the header across goal where I think Bono managed to cut, cut it out. But that was a dangerous opportunity as well. So he was a threat at the other end of the pitch as well. But I wanted to talk about. You talked about the strikers kind of squandering. Um, chances a little bit now obviously Dybala was going to come off because he wasn't fully fit he's very rarely fully fit he'd done his job he came off Pellegrini came off um and then he brought on Belotti he took off Abraham right um do you feel like those when I saw those attacking changes I thought it doesn't feel like Roma want to score another one here because it felt like you took all your threat off the pitch if I may I think there were four major things that went mm-hmm. wrong for AS Roma across the game and particularly in the second half, but across the whole game. I wasn't impressed by the play of our wing-backs in general. Okay. Uh, Leonardo Spinazzola chose a very, very good night to not have a great performance. He's my favourite player, I should yeah. clarify. Um, and he's usually extremely consistent despite his injury record. However, he could not take on Jesus Navas no. last night. He mm-hmm. kept making the same mistake. I don't know why he continued the same approach. Um, Mehmet Jekicelic on the other side was fine, one of his better performances of late, but again, far from exciting. And then Nikola Zalewski came on, didn't make a, no, a hallmark mistake, but also was put on set pieces. And respectfully, he is no Paolo Dybala. Mm-hmm. Going forward, I didn't think the wingbacks created that much. 
Secondly, um, I wasn't... I, there are refereeing issues to go into, but I wasn't yeah. impressed by the discipline of our midfielders whatsoever. Nemanja Matic's yellow card early on felt kind of silly. Mm. And then Pellegrini getting booked for simulation, Cristante getting booked, I think it was in the second half. That basically took out the entire central midfield. And yeah. any kind of aggressive, direct, creative play that Roma could have had was in, like eliminated on the spot. And then more players got booked around that, right? Mancini, obviously. Zalewski <laughs> with a stupid booking. And the, yeah. honestly, for, for for the imbalances in the refereeing performance that we will definitely be talking yeah. about, I think the overwhelming majority of Roma's yellow cards were justified. Okay. And I was extremely disappointed mm. in that. That's number two. The third problem is the awful quality of our forward finishing. Tammy Abraham had had a really bad game in terms of finishing. He was doing a bit of good back-to-goal work. I'll give yep. him that. But in you know, he had opportunities to put us ahead, and he did not take them. That scramble in front of goal. People will remember the Ibanez yes. kick, but Smalling should have done much better with the initial chance yep. he had. Sorry, no, Abraham should have done much yes. better with the initial yep. chance that he had. And if you want a microcosm of Tammy Abraham's entire season... That is it. Someone on Twitter has put together a compilation of all the times he's hit the woodwork. Ugh. I want to know what the hell happened to the player we had last year. Yeah. Because it is not a case of you're not good enough for Serie A. He's done it before. Mm-hmm. I want to know what happened to him. But the fourth thing, the biggest thing of all, and honestly the thing I'm most surprised at, is that Jose Mourinho's substitutions were a fucking disaster. I thought and he made I, some awful choices, honestly. I could yeah. have, I could have told, I, in the moment, Rory, I knew that they were bad choices. I know Dybala had to come off. He was never going to play the whole time. I didn't want him to start, actually, but he mm. got his goal. We wouldn't have gotten a goal without him. So, fine. You made the right decision on that front. I'm thinking, great, bring Dybala off. You need a midfielder to shore things up a bit, drive forward, get the team going. Eduardo Bov is on the bench. He brings on Jorginho Vinaldum, mm-hmm. who hasn't played for most of the season and <laughs> wasn't good after he came on. No. Tammy Abraham being taken off for Andrea Bellotti is one of the worst substitutions I have ever seen Jose Mourinho make. Andrea Bellotti has not scored a single Serie A goal in over a thousand minutes of league play this year. Respectfully, what the hell made you think yeah. he was going to change that in the Europa League final against a team as well drilled as Mendilibar Sevilla? It was never going to happen. Stefan El Sharawi is on the bench. Yeah, he's, that... he's been one of Roma's best players. Mm. Why are you choosing Bellotti over him? That was the move that I thought I expected. Oh, we'll bring El Sharawi on a bit of pace, a bit more directness, a bit more threat, right? Mm. And I thought. It kind of reminded me of when Lampard picked Aubameyang against Arsenal because it's the narrative that he'll score against Arsenal. I felt like Mourinho picked Bellotti because, like, oh, the narrative is he'll get his first goal in the final. Mm. And we all wanted it. I think Bellotti had one decent chance where he snatched at it and it went just wide. But the whole performance, I just sat myself, and I was literally sat saying to myself, he is fucking miles off it. He is absolutely miles off it. He was 30 seconds behind every ball. He was mm. press he was like pressing but like like you'd press at five aside 40 minutes in if you know what I mean and he'd only yeah. come on 5 minutes <laughs> 5 minutes ago. I just felt he looked so down on confidence, so miles away from where he was. Do you think there's can his career be salvaged at Roma? Then we'll talk about the refs I think, but can you think because it's not been a good transfer. I can see him going back to Torino on loan, to be honest. I mean, it depends on who's managing Torino. And mm. Ivan Juric, after a couple of really good seasons, he could be on the move. And yeah, yeah, yeah. honestly, if, if Jose goes, Ivan Juric is 
very near the top of my list, honestly. Yeah. And he has been for a long time. I think mm-hmm. he's a very low risk, potentially high reward managerial signing. Um, if Abraham, in terms of it, is Abraham, is Bellotti's Roma career over, his contract's coming up t- to the end. So mm-hmm. we'd need to renew him for another year if we wanted him to stay. And I don't think for a second that he has done enough to earn no. that same wage he's been earning this year. I, I'm not against giving him another chance under another manager because I've seen what he can do before. But the worrying thing for me last night, you're right to talk about his relative lack of pace, his lack of alertness. He seemed to be behind everybody else. The big thing we lost taking off Abraham for him, it wasn't that. It was the back-to-goal work. Yeah. It was the link-up yeah, yeah, yeah. with everybody else. Bellotti just did not do that, which is no. so frustrating because if you look at him physically, he has all the He's tools massive. to do that. Yeah. A few years ago when, when it was that carousel of off-seasons where you're thinking Ed and Dzeko is going to leave at any mm-hmm. point, Bellotti seemed to be the natural heir to Dzeko because Dzeko mm-hmm. was great at that because he was pretty massive but also was a team player. I don't know why Bellotti's been unable to convert that so mm-hmm. far. One of the worst players on the pitch last night, yeah. for certain. Yeah. It was it was honestly painful to watch at times, and I was like, I just felt really bad for him. Honestly, mm. I just felt yeah, a bit of pity, and like, oh man, you should have just stayed at Torino and just kept that crown. If you know what I mean, they would have loved you. Um, but we've we've delayed it for long enough. We do need to talk about the refereeing decisions as well. Now, Anthony Taylor is always a character. Um, he always t- tends to be in the headlines every time he, he referees. Um, now, there was a few decisions. Let's talk about first the penalty he did give that then didn't give. Um, I'm with you. I can't believe he gave it in the first place. I thought it just looked like a fantastic tackle. I was in a very biased environment. Yeah. And if I'm ever going to be in a biased state of mind, I don't consider myself to be a particularly biased mm-hmm. supporter. I've considered myself quite objective. But if I was ever going to be subjective, it was going to be last night. I could see from the screen about 20 feet away from me, that Ibanez got the ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't, I don't understand how Anthony Taylor couldn't see that. And the speed, the zealotry, Mm -hmm. the zeal rather, with which he gave that penalty straight away, struck me as extremely suspicious. Considering how reluctant he had been to consider the penalty shout for Roma in the first Mm -hmm. half, which granted, I don't think was a penalty through my understanding of the rules. But this one absolutely wasn't. He very clearly got a yeah, foot yeah. to the ball first. Um, and that's, yeah, it, it, he, in the end, Stuart Atwell and VAR overturned that. But needless to say, Anthony Taylor was less than popular. Yes. And I think before we get to the other big decision, I think in general, it was a game that was very hard to referee. Because it was two teams that were, they were trying all the dark arts, all the tricks. It was, it's what we said it was going to be, right? It's Mourinho versus Sevilla. What do you expect? Like, so I think in general, he did very well with like booking the players at the right times and not just pulling for the second yellow straight away. But the one that I think everyone is confused about is the handball. Now, he kept miming that the player's arm was down by its side, like was next to his side. It wasn't. And also, it looks like his hand moves towards the ball. Like his hand moves away and then towards it. I think in the Premier League, that is given in a heartbeat. Like when you look at VAR, that is given. And I don't think he even went... Did he go to look at the camera in the end? Because it took him a very long time if he did. The check was over very quickly. Which, if I remember correctly on that instant, it was yeah. over very quickly. And that's never really a good sign. 
personally look at so I've I've tried to recreate this of course I have and I stood up <laughs> thinking like my arms in the position where it is on the severe defender I have to move it behind my back because that's the go-to if you want yeah. to avoid a handball the natural thing to do is to move it out a bit so you can swing it yeah. around at full speed okay. yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. I, at least for me it was so on that front I can understand it yeah. I don't think it was an intentional handball and I've seen some Roma supporters post like pictures of like this one wasn't given, but this one from a few years ago right, was yeah, this yeah. one from a few, yeah. But the ones that they're showing that were are so much more blatant, like James yeah, Milner's yeah. against Roma back at the Olympico a few years ago. That was given because that was bloody egregious. This was a bit different. <laughs> I don't know what the ruling is that mm-hmm. the official rule is in UEFA competitions versus the Premier League. Yeah, that's true. My extremely controversial position is i don't know whether or not that is a penalty Mm -hmm. in my eyes it should not be okay yeah yeah yeah. however i have seen it given so many times particularly in the nation in which anthony taylor referees (laughs) that i found it very very difficult to stomach but with respect that is Roma have been screwed so many times by referees in the past. I think mm-hmm. we can agree with that pretty objectively. And one of the most painful things about last night is that that is not even close to the most egregious <laughs> screw job that Roma have had in UEFA competitions. I still have nightmares, day, like willing daytime nightmares about Chinechakir's performance when we played Porto and got knocked out by that VAR penalty that wasn't mm-hmm. given. Even worse about Damir Scomina's horror show at the Olympico <laughs> against Liverpool that a tie that Liverpool somehow won 1-0 when if refereeing decisions had gone our way, we would have gone through with about four goals advantage on average. Yes. aggregate. It was, it was that, that is always going to be the high watermark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a game defined by ridiculous high pressure decisions. Just him, like um, Scomana getting everything yeah. wrong. I don't think Anthony Taylor's game last night was that. I think his... The, the issue with Anthony Taylor last night was, and you have to believe me when I say I have got no issue with referees punishing old school gamesmanship, mm-hmm. punishing the dark yeah. arts, punishing time wasting. Remember England versus Italy recently, Retigui's debut that night? That referee was extremely card happy. He didn't yes. want any of that nonsense that England were trying to pull. I love that. I was yeah. praising the referee from the from the start of the game to the end, which is rare for me. I've got no issue with Anthony Taylor booking simulation for Pellegrini, mm-hmm. booking for descent booking for standing on people, yeah. booking for time-wasting. I've got no problem with that. Book as many Roma players as you like if they're guilty. But you'd better treat Sevilla the same way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he didn't. Yeah. No. No, well, I feel like Lamella is the one that's caught the kind of um, ire of most people. Now, it won't be a surprise to anyone. I've never liked Lamella. The second he joined Spurs, he was one of those ratty players like Deli Ali. I never liked him. Always just mouthy and average. But that elbow on Ibanez, it was Ibanez, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. But he bust his lip. That is, you can't tell me there wasn't a little bit of intention behind that. He doesn't look at him, but you can see his arm go out and he knows he's there. That for me has to be at least a yellow card, at least. And I can't believe that wasn't given. And when the player's down on the floor getting his lips sewn up, you would think that there'd be a bit more of a an impetus for Anthony Taylor to react, but he didn't. There wasn't even a card at that point. I think he was just left, right? No, he was, he was already on a yellow card yeah. and the second yellow wasn't given. I, I don't Again, I don't know why that decision was made. It was, it was pretty clear. And I, I really don't want this to sound like small club mentality or just that <laughs> I'm whinging, but it felt like 
Sevilla were allowed to play a very physical game that AS Roma were not allowed to yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I have to question, and it was so consistent throughout the game, Sevilla players going down with simulation, not getting booked. Sevilla mm-hmm. players making pretty heavy tackles that I've seen given as yellow cards 100 times before, not being given, mm-hmm. whereas the Roma equivalents were. It wasn't, as I say, it wasn't a game of a big decision that Anthony Taylor egregiously got wrong. It was a game of what felt like quite sustained bias and favoritism yeah. in small moments that through sheer attrition and number ended up costing AS Roma pretty heavily towards yeah. the end. I can't say he was the only reason why we did not win the Europa League last night, but he was certainly a reason. A re- yeah. It's pretty yeah, yeah. staggering that Eric Lamella, who should have been sent off, was one of the penalty takers in Sevilla's <laughs> successful shootout. And if I may, I've... In the last six years, I have watched AS Roma crash out of European competitions five times. Mm -hmm. On four of those five occasions, referees have been either a significant reason or the definitive reason why that has happened. I will get onto the abuse, I'm sure, that Anthony Taylor and others have faced. Roma fans ire with UEFA... I 100% understand. The crazy thing is, last night wasn't even the worst we've had. Yeah, and I think it is, and it's it's a narrative that I've seen a lot on Twitter. Is Roma fans obviously because that's what happens is whenever a club goes through these nights, they bring up the decisions in the past that have gone against them. But it does feel like Roma had have had a pretty rough run of it. Um, but we should go to the penalties, I suppose, and then we can talk mm. about what happened with Anthony Taylor, but. In the penalty shootout, I was confused by the penalty taker selection. Um, Joe talked me through it. I don't know what the hell went on. <laughs> Why are your, all your defenders taking penalties? You're, 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 ask, you're asking me. I, I don't have an answer. Um, <laughs> it's in the so, maddest choice. I mean, glory, glory, Brian Cristante, one of the most underrated footballers of my lifetime. Somebody that I will my my, my lip. I don't know, I don't know what you guys say about Brian Cristante on the regular, but one of my litmus tests with um, Italian football journalists, okay, to know if I can trust them or not, is if they slate. Brian Cristante because if they slate him aggressively that means they just don't understand how midfielders play he's actually been one of Roma's best players for a really long Mm -hmm. time and that penalty was great like I mean Bono went the right way but he didn't save it because it was a great penalty Mancini's good save from Bono Mm -hmm. it's you know that happens from the moment Roger Ibanez started his run-up I thought it's not going in the angle was wrong the pace was wrong like I I never took penalties when I was playing uh, football as a kid and as a teenager it just looked wrong from the very start mm-hmm. and it bounced off the post yeah it's the both of them looked because i think mancini's if you're going to hit it down the middle you've got to lift it a little bit you can't mm. roll it down the middle you've got to try and get a bit of height on it because the keeper's leg can just catch it and bono we know from the world cup he's good he's good against penalties. I think he saved a few at the World Cup as well. Mm. So I think Mancini, I was a little bit disappointed, just put it a little bit higher. And yet Ibanez looked like he was crapping himself. He looked like he was absolutely crapping himself. But I feel like there was... like Because Cristante takes penalties for you, or was your penalty taker anyway, right? Before Dybala turned up, I think. I Do I remember he took penalties? Um, if he did, it was only on a bit part basis. Jordan okay. Bertou had been our set-piece yeah, taker yeah. for a long time. and I mean, Abraham took a few as well. Yeah. You go back further than that, it's Kolarov and others like okay. that. Cristante's never been the set-piece like I've seen him score penalties. Maybe I was in my head. But, he, he, may, um, he may well have. He, I, think, I, I think he has scored yeah. a couple from set play. Yeah, so I think... 
but it would still seem baffling to me because I think even okay, even Bellotti, he hasn't scored all season. But from the penalty spot for Torino, he's pretty ruthless. Mm. I think he might have been a little bit higher on my list than Gianluca Mancini um, and Ibanez as well. To be fair, but Sevilla's penalties were very good. But I also think we need to talk about Rui Patricio because I don't think he got near a single one of them apart from the no. one he ran off the line. Um, I. Rui Patricio didn't have a horrendous night overall, but I think it's also worth pointing out that as a, largely as a result of Chris Smalling's size and positioning, he didn't really have an awful lot to do. Yeah. Going into that shootout, I mean, all of Roma's penalty takers have been taken off. Dybala, mm-hmm. Pellegrini, yeah. Abraham, etc. Again, which again strikes me as quite poor management or naive management mm-hmm. from Jose Mourinho, and he has to take some blame for that. But I think we also knew going into the penalty shootout that Bono is an exceptional shootout goalkeeper. Yeah. Patricio has never been a great one, really. Yeah. yeah and yeah, he, yeah. he didn't get near a single one. And then obviously the Montiel penalty, the encroachment. I mean, the, the fans were around me were incensed. I've seen fans online. It was encroachment. Yeah. 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 There was no was. argument about it. There was no discussion about it. it. It just was. And I think it just made it a little bit of a cruel way to end it, really. Because oh, yeah. you think you've got that ray of hope and then it's kind of, oh, no, he gets another go. Um, but yeah, so it wasn't it wasn't to be. Um, Mourinho's comments post-game. Now, Mourinho, we know that he loves to make it all about himself, especially after big losses. He takes a lot of the attention away from his team, brings it onto himself, releases the pressure a bit. But um, these rumours, well, it seems like he might be leaving. Now, he talked about the Portugal job being offered to him and he turned it down. He's going to have a holiday after Sunday um, and he's going to think about it. I felt like he was finding a bit of a home at Roma and he was finding somewhere that the city had bought into him, the club had bought into him, the players had bought into him. He was able to mould it in his image a little bit. Do you think he's going to leave? It all depends on the offers that come through. Losing Lionel Messi and potentially a couple of other good players and with a far from secure position in Ligue 1 despite their spending, I can see PSG moving in for him to replace Christophe Galtier. I think that would make a lot of sense. Aside from them, I'm not entirely sure. I'm sure there's a few national teams that would want him. I Again, I've, I've noticed his, at least on the face of it, superior mental state. He looks an awful lot happier in Italy than he has during his last, I was going to say two Premier League jobs. Let's, let's be real. It's three. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like he's he's got his love for football back, but... I think we also have to remember, and Jose will be aware of this, despite the fact he doesn't want to talk about it, third season syndrome exists with Jose Mourinho and it exists hard. Mm-hmm. I am, whether or not he stays, and I'm remarkably neutral on whether or not he okay. stays, actually, despite this season ending up, ending up being a massive disappointment. I fear for what could happen to Roma, particularly in uh, Serie A next season, if if he was to stay for a whole year. Yeah, it is an interesting point in the third season. It does usually start to fall apart, doesn't it? Maybe he is getting out while the while the offer would still be there rather mm. than let another another job get away from him. It's a shame because I think it felt like he was it felt like he was really building something there. It, it really I could see him having a proper legacy there. And I think he'll still obviously like if he leaves it'll be he'll be fondly remembered in general. I think Roma fans will always be delighted about the conference league and stuff, but I really expected him to be there a little bit longer. Um but he did hang around a little bit longer as he hung out in the car park to <laughs> heckle and scream abuse at Anthony Taylor. Um, 
Not the first time he's done it. Um, mm. But since that, um, as Anthony Taylor and his refereeing team were trying to leave Budapest Airport, there's been Roma fans that were trying to attack him or get to him shouting abuse and stuff. And there's been a lot of... Well, there's been a lot of hand wringing online about people being holier than thou and all and about this. But I do think that Mourinho should have a case to answer about stoking the fires here and knowing knowing what football fans are like and what ultra groups are like and what online people are like. Does he have a responsibility to be a little bit more grown up than this? I mentioned the cult of Jose on the last podcast. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I found most disturbing in the message threads and forums that I'm a part of since he joined isn't the fact that you cannot even begin to criticise Jose's tactics without getting downvoted to hell. It's the amount that people love when he gets suspended, when he throws abuse at the referees, when he stokes the fans up. Mm -hmm. I don't understand how that benefits AS Roma at all. How does Jose Mourinho getting suspended for two games help mm-hmm. us? I, I, I just don't understand that yeah. mindset whatsoever. Granted, our record with the assistant coach in, whether it's Sacramento or 40, was actually pretty good over the course of these two years. But still, we shouldn't be celebrating that because the league form has been so bad. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I wanna, I'm, I'm dancing around the subject. It's, it's not okay at all. Yeah, And yet you have to, you have to wonder whether... All that added time, all those bookings, you have to wonder whether the style of game management, not necessarily tactical management, mm-hmm. but game management from the likes of Mourinho is being phased out. Yeah. Now, obviously, as a Roma supporter, I would be expected to defend Jose. And over the course of this season, watch me give a damn how we get to the Europa League final, as long as we've not done anything criminal or dangerous. However, as a neutral, I can 100% see why you'd want to stamp it out. Mm-hmm. And if Jose Mourinho's got anything to do with why those fans decided to try and attack Anthony Taylor at the airport, then he does have to answer for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think you're absolutely yeah. I think you're absolutely right. Um, and I think two of his coaching staff again got booked last night, right? And it was like the 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 antics on the bench were a bit mad now i know the severe bench were equally at it mm. um and i saw the player who later came on jordan with the accent jordan, jordan. Was, yeah he had a few words shared with Mourinho as well um it feels like Mourinho's, but he's trying to get the coaching staff to do this he's trying to get that kind of over aggressiveness i don't know i think because at first i was like oh, this is quite funny this is quite you know like scenes oh this is like a novelty and now it's a bit like okay what are you actually trying to do here because it just feels like referee intimidation at this point which if it was in another league if it was in like if we saw it in romania or bulgaria or something like that would be going well this is a bit dodgy if yeah if you saw it in romania and bulgaria steve McManaman would definitely have some uh, choice words on the commentary about it i've seen an awful lot of like reply sections and threads today um, non-Roma affiliated, obviously, um, slating the behaviour on our bench. And obviously, it's pot kettle black from Sevilla fans because I thought their mm-hmm. behaviour, especially as the second half drew on, was equally bad. And I, we didn't see, thanks to BT Sports' fantastic, fantastic camera angles, we didn't see exactly how that brawl between the two yeah. benches started. But it looked like Jose, it looked, to me, it looked like Jose was responding to something rather okay. than stoking something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. However, I mean, obviously that's that's on the bench and Sevilla should be criticised for it. But when it comes to their on-the-pitch antics in extra time, you know, going down, simulations, 
trying to drag it out to penalties as much as possible. Find me a Roma fan delusional delusional enough to have an issue with Sevilla doing that after what we did against Leverkusen, after what we did against yeah, yeah, yeah. Feyenoord, after what we did against Sociedad. I'm sorry, I I cannot bring it in me yeah, to yeah, criticise yeah. Sevilla for, for giving Mourinho a taste of his own medicine, yeah, so to yeah, speak. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think this, it's unfortunately not the not the end we wanted. It wasn't the result we wanted. Three Italian teams in finals, so far one down. We're hoping that one of them gets something. We have to get one of the mm. Italian teams has to get something. I'm hoping with all hope that it's Inter, because um, I do want West Ham to win against Fiorentina. I apologise, but I'm really hoping Inter get the job done. I'm sorry we couldn't do this under happier circumstances, Joe. But um, looking ahead to next season already, because the season's basically done, um, if Mourinho does go, and it's looking increasingly likely, who do you expect? Who would you like? You've mentioned Juric already. What direction do you expect the club to kind of go in if Mourinho does leave? I think we have to adapt to very challenging financial circumstances. The FFP, the FFP constraints that have been imposed on Roma as a result of Jose spending in his first mm-hmm. in his first season. Let's not forget. And I've yeah. I've read the figures and those sanctions they're legitimate. Roma did mm-hmm. overspend. I'm not going to like again. I'm I'm normally the first to criticise FFP, but on this occasion we deserve it. Um, we're going to be constrained by those, and thus we need a manager who. Isn't so isn't so much a stooge of the chairman because the Friedkins don't really operate with that level of they're not like a Aurelio De Laurentiis right yeah. they're not trying to ha- have such an oversight of it. they're remarkably quiet owners but I would certainly expect someone a bit quieter a bit more pragmatic and also a lot younger even Juric okay. is the guy that I've proposed um, as mm-hmm. as a as a reliable solution to Mourinho in the short term would he achieve anything major I don't know but at the very least he's stable. He has yes. an awful lot of experience with getting the most out of mid-table lineups. And if the player exodus after a Mourinho exit was to come true, I think you'd need a manager like Juric to steady the ship. You get a couple mm-hmm. of years out of him. And ultimately, I think whether or not it was a success, there would be enough of a positive in there for Juric to continue and go to another yeah. mid-table team and continue his honestly quite remarkable form <laughs> as a manager in Syria. Yeah, yeah. That, so that was my reliable option. I think Thiago Motta's too young. I'd like to see mm-hmm. him do one more year at Bologna before he gets promoted. I've seen people flout Daniele De Rossi as an option. Oh, I mean, he's, had, he's had one managerial spell at Spal and it was a disaster. They just got relegated. Yeah, he could, <laughs> he could be good one day, but not right now, respectfully. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The... The craze, uh, the Italian what in me wanted Simona Inzaghi when it looked like Inter okay. were going to sack him because he's a cup specialist, get the trophy hunting going on. And also I think in yeah, Serie yeah. he's been miles better than Mourinho this year. But that's not going to happen. Inter are going to keep him, and rightfully so. Yeah. The one that I really want, and this is such a stylistic departure from Mourinho, and it is also remarkably unrealistic and would be difficult to pull off. It's rare that I want a manager this high profile. You can probably guess what I'm going to say. When I heard rumours that Ruben Amorim was being touted <laughs> as a replacement for Jose Mourinho, yeah, yes, yes, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. please let that happen. Portuguese general manager, Portuguese outgoing head coach. Mm. It, it can't work better than that. Yeah. Ruben Amorim would be the dream. 
I think that would be an incredible appointment, but I think mm. there might be more competition eyeing him up at the moment. A club in North London are heading, although I don't know who want, who'd want to go there, but the club in North London is staring at those Portuguese clubs at the minute. But I think Amarim would be a hell of an appointment and would be an exciting one as well. But I think it needs to be something that gives the fans, as always, I suppose, but gives the fans a bit of a boost and like, mm. okay, this is a new direction, new breath kind of thing. Um, but I do think Juric, he deserves a chance as well. He deserves a chance at like one of the, sorry, Torino, even though your shirt's here, but one of the, like, the big boys, he deserves a, a, a chance, I think. So it would be good to see him there. But listeners, we are going to take a very quick break. We're going to leave the Europa League final there. We do also need to say congratulations to Sevilla. Seven wins now is absolute insanity in the Europa League. Um just incredible, absolutely incredible. Um, and I thought they did have some standout players. I thought um, Campos was, was very, very good. I thought Rakitic yeah. did have a very good game. I forgot that he was so old. I was I was watching him. I was like, oh my God, uh, this guy is still an absolute baller. So yeah, congratulations to Sevilla. Um, commiserations to Roma. So very shortly after this very quick break, uh, we will see you on the other side to discuss all things final weekend of Serie A. Incredible stuff. See you there, guys. My name is David Artel, and you're listening to the Anglo-Italian pod. And here we are, the final weekend preview of the season, guys. It's emotional. It's the last weekend for Serie A, and there's still a little bit to play. A few nervous fans um, await this weekend, and we are going to start towards the top where there is a race to decide who will qualify for the Europa League and who will be in the Conference League. We currently have Atalanta in fifth on 61 points, Roma in sixth on 60 points, and Juventus in seventh on 59 points. Now, all of these teams, they have games that they might think or should think are winnable, but we're going to go through them. So we're going to start with Atalanta at home to Monza. Now, the interesting thing here. Both of these teams have better form away from home. So in the table, Atalanta are third away from home, but ninth at home. And Monza are ninth away from home and 16th at home. So both of these teams prefer being on the road. Joe, how do you think Atalanta will get on against Monza? Monza have been giant killers, right? They've beaten Inter. Um, they've beaten Napoli. They've beaten Juve twice. Um, do you think they can get another scalp against Atalanta? It, it was that w- first win against Juve that really spelled doom for their season, right? It was that was mm. when the, the chance for Allegri to leave. I mean, they were already yes. pretty loud, but by that point... There was quite a definite. few of them as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, scalping big North Italian teams seems to be a bit of a habit for Monza these days. So I, I would not count them out of this at all. Um, it's the, the amount of depth they have in addition to the quality they have. Obviously, that's what happens when you sign a ton of players, spend a lot of money relative to you know, where they were coming from. But that's, that's far from secured um, for mm-hmm. Atalanta by all means. I think it's just a case of Atalanta will have... I want to say they'll have a lot to play for. And of course they do. It's a race for Europa League qualification. But I think there's also a lot of question marks about who the hell their manager is going to be next year. They're going to be mm-hmm. another one of these teams fighting for an, you know, an aspirational mid-table Serie A manager. Um, so you have to wonder like about squad harmony going into the final game. But that's that's been one of the stories I've heard about coming out of Bergamo this year is that it's often a sign when a manager perhaps isn't as, I would say isn't as committed anymore, but that's extremely unfair, isn't at the top of his game anymore when home yeah. form starts to suffer. And Atalanta's form away from home, I know, I think, I'm pretty sure that they, they beat Roma away from home pretty yeah. uh, pretty convincingly recently, which 
has made this table situation even closer. But yeah, this, this is, I honestly think this might be the hardest to call of all mm-hmm. three um, Europa race relative fixtures. I wouldn't be yeah. surprised if they shared the points. Yeah, no, I think Monza definitely gets something from this game. I think Atalanta, like, and Monza, they've only lost one of their last nine games. Mm, um, but there has been a red card in three of their last five, two for opposition players. So they're usually feisty affairs. So we'll see what happens in the head to head. Previously in the season, Atalanta did win 2 0 Hoyland and an own goal from Marlon. But like you said, I do think Monza takes something from this. Um, we're going to go next to your beloved Roma versus. No, we're going to go next to Udinese versus Juventus. That's where we're going to go. Mm. Going to continue going up north. Now, here, Udinese have lost their last three, only scored two in that time and conceded six. They've got nothing to play for. Juventus have also lost their last two, conceding five. Five, four against Empoli and only scoring one. Um, in the head-to-head, Juve did beat Udinese at home 1-0 earlier in the season, but it took an 86th minute from 86th minute winner from Danilo to get the points. Um, Udinese is a difficult place to go. Um, but do you think Juve have got it in them? They've got a point to prove after all this fannying about with the cheating and stuff, right? It's perhaps a less difficult place to go to for Juve than it is for a lot of teams southern mm. down the peninsula, more southern down the peninsula in uh, Syria. So again, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about the, um, the Dash Arena being a difficult place to go or whatever it's called now. Yeah. Um, however, I, I can definitely see a situation where Udinese are very, very difficult to break down, or perhaps should I say, Max Allegri's tactics makes it very difficult <laughs> yeah. to break down anybody. Um, and Juventus's form recently, I, I talked about this on the uh, last podcast, it's just absolutely staggering ever since that points deduction was reinstated. And even though it's lesser than the one they had before, it's like all the energy and hope has... I mean, whatever hope was left with Max Allegri's style has just disappeared overnight in that side. But they, they've, at least they've come up against teams recently that have been doing relatively well. You cannot say that about Udinese at all. This has been one of the worst seasons I've seen from Udinese in quite some time. Mm-hmm. Um, at least whenever, at least whenever I've seen them, it was weird because they started. Generous. Yeah, sorry, because they started so well, and I mm. remember up until like pre World Cup, I want to say they were like fifth or sixth like at the, yeah. v- at the very beginning of the season they were like up in second and third and you're like yeah okay well that's not going to last but I think towards the World Cup they were still pushing and then all of a sudden it just fell off a cliff and I think it yeah the, the second half of the season has been very very long very long for that's them. what makes um, it so much worse for me is the fact that it started so well like mm-hmm. it's, it's the scale of the disappointment yeah. later on in the season that makes it so bad no, exactly, exactly. And I think um, Juve should get something here. But as I said, Udinese have now drawn at home with Lazio and Napoli and they've beaten Inter Milan and Roma uh, in Udinese. So I think maybe there's a surprise up their sleeve. But we do need to go to the last game. And now it's time for your beloved Roma taking on Spezia. So here mm. we go. Now, I think these, these might be the two least informed teams in the league, I think, potentially. Um, um, Sassuolo's form is well, Sampdoria don't count, but Sassuolo's Sampdoria form is absolutely yeah. Sassuolo's form. <laughs> Sampdoria have been in Serie B since October. Let's be honest. Um, <laughs> Sassuolo's form is absolutely horrendous. They're the they and Sampdoria are the only other teams without wins in their last five. But also Spezia, the scale of that humiliation at home to Torino 
Mm-hmm. I don't whether whether or not it's weighing on their minds, it should be. That game was bloody horrendous from start to finish. But again, like you're coming up against a Roma team who are shattered, shot on confidence, desperate after the, the, you know, that that all or nothing game to, tran, translated to a whole lot of nothing for next year. And I said it a few nights ago to you, Spezia are exactly the kind of bogey team mm-hmm. that could come from behind to beat Roma in the last 10 minutes. I would, I, I'm not a betting man, but I can't imagine the odds of Anzola scoring a goal are even that good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I think they're not going to be as long as you'd, as you'd hope. Mm. Um, Spezia have beaten Milan and Inter this season, but crucially that yeah. was both at home. Um, I, and watched the the, I watched the win against Inter live, so that was fun. Yes, yeah, yeah. God, Inter have absolutely thrown away some games this season. They really have. Um, the head-to-head between these. Roma won the last game, 2-0 in Spezia, El Sharawi and Abraham getting a goal. Feels like there wasn't many of them this season, so maybe that was mm. one to remember. But that takes us neatly down to the relegation battle because Spezia are fighting, fighting for their lives um, at the bottom of the table. They are on the same points as Verona, both on 31. Spezia currently on 17th. Goal difference of minus 30 and Verona in 18th goal, goal difference of minus 26. But Verona are away to Milan. Milan, nothing, nothing to play for. Verona, we talked about it on Monday that they have got quality. They just cannot score goals. Now, I was looking for the last time Verona um, won at the San Siro against Milan and I honestly couldn't find it. Um, but the last time Verona beat Milan at all, was in 2017. Now, get this. The goal scorers, I forgot this guy played for, for Verona. Caracciolo, Moise Kane, and Bressa getting the goals. Yeah. That's quite the throwback. Yeah, I'd totally forgotten that uh, Moise Kane played for Hellas Verona. Yeah, I, I, I've been running the theory in my mind that Milan will have absolutely nothing to play for. And in a season where they've had so many slip-ups against teams that they really should have been beating copy-paste that for every other team second on down in Serie A this year. I was thinking that Hellas Verona might be able to get something out of this, but it's it's a cliche. San Siro is not an easy place to go, obviously. Milan don't really have, if I remember correctly, Milan don't really have anything to lose. However, I think they, 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 there's also the slight possibility of pride finishing ahead of the City rivals objectively that team is so much better they want to finish the year on a high i i you'd put i wouldn't i wouldn't put money on milan winning because of the circumstances that we've covered yeah but again i find it very hard to be confident in hellas verona specifically going into this yeah. game montipo's the kind of goalkeeper that would really struggle with some of the uh mm-hmm. like the accuracy of milan's forwards rafalao in particular yeah 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 no i think and it's also, the, it's the other end of the pitch, like we said, that worries me for Verona. I just can't see them scoring more goals than Milan. Mm. Like, I see that if they get one, I think Milan wake up and get one and then Verona are like, okay, well, that was our one. We've had our one. We're done now. Like, I can't see them then going again. If you know what I mean? So I think, I really, really hope Verona stay up, but I just don't think it's going to happen. And I'm going to be really disappointed because last year they had such an exciting, incredible team and such a great season. It's just, it's... It's a brutal game. It's a brutal game. If you stand still, you're going backwards. Um, so I think Verona could face the drop. But Joe, I'm going to put you on the spot. Which team goes down and um, appears in Serie B next year, apart from Juventus? <laughs> Wouldn't that be a dream? Um, <laughs> I'm going to say Hellas Verona 
Not necessarily because I think Milan are going to be good. I just think Spezia will pull something out against Roma, whether that's one point or three. God, this wow! Well, last night, last night broke you. I'm sorry. Last night has absolutely broken you. Yeah, it's, it's to be expected. It's to be expected. But before we go, before we let you go home, guys, we do also. There is one game left to play in England, and it's a big one. It's a massive one. It's in London. It's at Wembley, and it is the FA Cup final derby. Manchester City taking on Manchester United. Man United weirdly have quite a decent record against Man City still. Of course, beating them at Old Trafford. Everything in your head tells you that Man City is miles ahead of United. They're going to make it easy. I can still, there's a, I'm like, I don't know who I want to win this. I couldn't care less, really. I don't really want United to win it because the fans will keep saying they've had a better season than us. But City winning it just means they're going to win the treble and that's horrible. But I can't see anything but a City win. What do you think, Joe? I can see the fans getting behind Manchester United because London Mm. is where most of them live. Um, (laughs) It's a home game. (laughs) Yeah, basically. As opposed to Man City, whose fans are a a concept. Um, (laughs) But, yeah. Again, I want this game to be interesting, right? But, yeah. but all I can... And this is a very, very different fixture. All I can remember is doing live commentary at a student radio station for when Manchester City played Watford in the FA Cup final, oh, and which was yeah. just one of the worst finals I've ever seen, just goal after goal after goal after goal. And granted, Manchester United are so much better. But again, it's not like they've been in great form of late. No. You know, the, the, no. There's been a lot of talk about like the Ten Hag honeymoon period being over how people can say they've had a better season than Arsenal this isn't just me sucking up to you like respectfully I, no I, I don't know. um but yeah I, I I would I would say a city win and it feels weird that people are talking about the treble like such an inevitability when they have literally got 66 percent of that still to go but I would be I, I think 70 30 I would say Manchester City win inside 90 minutes not because Manchester United are bad or because they're a bad cup team Although I think I thought Brighton were better than them in yes. what I saw of that game, yeah. it's just the absurd metronomic form that Manchester City are in at the moment. You just can't bet against them. No, it's it, it was, and I've I've said it before, but like the when Arsenal were in the title race, I said we need to be absolutely perfect because they are going to go on a winning run that's going to absolutely mm. destroy us. And they now 17 wins in a row, I think it is, 18 wins in a row, uh, until they lost against Brentford, right? Which, of course, they bloody did. Um, Well, yeah, the form they are in is absolutely frightening. It's the two 11s that they have that are just absolutely world-class. It is, like, the levels that they have shown. And I think people have talked about the inevitability of it because it has... Like I said, I really want Inter to do it. I really want Inter to do it. But I can't see any team beating them at the minute. Like, no. like in a game that matters that they want to win, I just cannot see it. Um, they've hit a ridiculous level of quality. And would it be funny for City to take the treble away from United? You know, be like we did it as well. That is pretty funny. That is pretty funny. It would. It would be fun. It, it would be fun, and I also think very, very justified for people to finally be able to look past that treble winning team, mm-hmm. which did not accrue anywhere near as many Premier League points. As teams since then, but and in a time where the Premier League, relative to other leagues in Europe, was far worse mm-hmm. than it has been more recently yeah, as well, yeah, yeah. and people finally stop seeing that team as somehow like uncompared. It's also it's, it's, they're called the greatest Premier League, like the greatest Premier League season ever, when most of their successes weren't even in the Premier League, <laughs> which is really really unusual. But no, it's 
It would also be quite annoying, though, if Manchester City were to take that kind of level of fame. Because have people forgotten how bad they were before the World Cup? They were honestly. I fully believed it, Joe. I fully believed yeah. that we were going to do it because I was like, "Look at them; they're terrible." This is the year, and then something happened. Holland didn't have to play at the World Cup. That's what bloody happened. Norway didn't qualify, and he got a holiday. That's what happened. Um, but yeah, they were they were absolutely terrible. And I think on a, a broader scale, obviously, every time Man City have success, you're like, "Oh, football dies a little bit more." And maybe the other club in Manchester is going to have similar owners soon. It's looking that way, right? So you can never really fully get behind it. But I don't know. It would be quite nice to see a weekend of United fans getting humbled. That would be quite nice. I could enjoy that. I could definitely enjoy that. But guys, I think that's it. We're done. I think we're both going for a Man City win, basically. Um, Hopefully a good game. Hopefully football wins. Let's just say football can be the winner, right? How can football win (laughs) when Manchester United are playing Manchester City? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. Um, so Joe, thanks for coming on to the show. Um, as always, if our listeners do want to follow you, do want to hire, find you, where can they find you on Twitter and all them? If you want to find the absolute bevy of referee criticizing tweets <laughs> that I have uh, engaged with in the last 24 hours, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Spagnoli, where I post about whatever I want. Not very often, because again, I'm currently going through national security vetting. So I have to behave myself. Um, on Instagram, you will find me at Joe Spagnoli, no underscore over there. I don't post anything because, again, I'm trying to be very, very well behaved. Rory, it's been an absolute pleasure to come on again. Um, no, looking forward to what on, comes mate. next in the next few weeks. And, yeah, it hurts, but this has been fun. Good. I hope it helped. I hope it helped. And as always, guys, we are going to end with our customary quote of the week. And, of course, it can only come from Jose Mourinho. And it's his comments post game, not about Anthony Taylor. He says... We are dead tired, but proud. I always say you can lose a football match, but never your dignity or professionalism. I lost this one, but I return home prouder than ever this time. The lads gave absolutely everything this season. Thank you as always, guys. We will see you on Monday. Podcast Network.